Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Yes, we continue our Human Condition series on addictions. We've been moving through a range of addictions over the last few weeks with our guru, clinical psychologist Lynn Worsley. Tonight, one, as I've mentioned on our Open House Community Facebook page, it's not one for the faint-hearted, but still, I think everything you read and hear about this particular addiction says it is huge and hugely damaging, especially with our immersion today in the online world. It's the addiction to pornography. In just a moment, we'll recall a very important and brave chat we had with one of our Open House community members a few weeks ago about the problem he's had with this particular addiction. For now, Lynn, welcome. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks very much for joining us. Very important discussion, I think. Mm. From the point of view of a clinical psychologist, how do you define this particular addiction? Okay, on a behaviour level, we see that a person begins to look at pornography and is initially shocked and attracted to the stimulus. Um, And they then do it again and again, and it's got less of a shock to them. So they seek for an increase in their stimulus, and they view more and more um, hardcore porn. And eventually they lead to craving the the viewing of the porn and thinking about it in between visits and having the visual images that invade their normal daily functioning. Um, Like any addiction, though, there is a tolerance that occurs. So more substance or more viewing is needed for the same result. And then there's a withdrawal and a craving that occurs in between use. So there are similarities, say, to a drug addiction. Yes, yes, very similar. It's probably important to look at some of the stats on addiction to pornography at the moment? I suspect they are huge. Yes. Now, I've taken these stats um, from a website. Oh, where have I... Um, let me think about what that one it was. I'll get back to you on that yep. one. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> I'll foot, remember it in a minute. We'll footnote it later. Um, now, it says 12% of, of websites on the internet are pornographic, which is a bit of a challenge when you're trying to look up pornographic stuff just for research, I'm just trying to say. I today. know. Yeah. <laughs> How's your filter done? <laughs> but that makes it 24 million and hundred hundred and seventy-two thousand sites. So 12% of all websites. Yeah. Amazing. Over 24 million. Two of the top 100 most popular websites, according to recent stats, are adult sites. Yes. 40 million Americans have regular visits to porn sites. 40 million. 2.5 billion emails per day are pornographic. That's 8% of all emails. And you didn't say million. You said billion. Billion. 2.5 billion. Yeah. 25% of search engine requests are porno, porno, pornography related. That's 68 million a day. Wow. Now, only 3% of websites ask for age verification. How does age verification work? Well, you have to say, are you over 18 to Just view this site? De- yeah. Make that declaration. Yes, yeah. but only 3% of those. Yes. The least popular day of the year for porn viewing is Thanksgiving. The most popular day for porn viewing is Sundays. Oh, really? Hmm. Now, 10% of porn users admit to being addicted to pornography. That's pretty high, actually. Yes. The average age of a child's first viewing of porn is 11 years of age. I've heard commonly more eight. That's what we've uh, heard before, yes. Yes. Now, 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit porn sites in one typical month. And one in three porn viewers are women. And 20% of men and 13% of women admit to watching porn online at work. 
Gee, good luck with that one. Are you surprised that one in three viewers of porn are women? No, no. No, I, I, I'm not surprised at all. I think probably that's how many admit it. I'd say it's okay. about the same, to yeah. be honest. So let's go back, if you like, psychologically or physiologically. What happens in the brain with a pornography addiction? Because we've seen in numbers of ways over the past uh, few weeks that there's something actually literally physically going on there. Yes. Now, look, there's a neurotransmitter substance called dopamine, and that's the body's natural, natural chemical reward for good behavior. Now, dopamine is a substance that helps information to be transmitted along the neural pathways. So we need it to act and feel that there's a, but there's a fine balance with helping us to function well. Yes. Now, the brain will crave things that will help increase your dopamine levels. And the limbic system, which we talked about in the last few weeks, will soothe and calm the brain to pull back so we don't overstimulate it with too much dopamine. So the limbic system is a bit like a thermostat and dopamine is a bit like the heat. Okay. Okay. Good, good comparison. Now, with dopamine levels, there's a number of situations that lead to rapid increase of dopamine levels in the brain, and this causes a rush of emotions and good feelings. So eating something you enjoy or being stimulated sexually can cause dopamine levels to increase. Now, if we look at dopamine levels responses in the brain to various stimulus, we can see there's quite a difference with different stimulus. So firstly, let's look at food. This is what I know about. Yes. Now, dopamine level sits around about the 100% mark, so that's about normal rate, okay? Mm-hmm. And then we eat, we have an increase to 150% after about half an hour Right. after eating something that we like. And then that's maintained for only a short while, so it peaks very quickly and comes back to about 120% in one and a half hours, and then back to normal in three hours. Okay. Okay? That's for food. That's for food. Now, let's look at sex. Healthy sex with a partner Um says its dopamine levels increase quickly reaching up to 200%. So it peaks quickly yes. and it quickly decreases back down to 150%. And then that's maintained for eight hours. Wow, it's interesting. So it's pretty satisfying, but yep. it drops down to 150%. Yep. Now let's look at amphetamine use. Dopamine increases to 1,000% wow. within one hour. And then it quickly drops down to 500%. And gradually reduces to normal after five hours. But that's a huge charge when you compare, say, food at 100%. What would you say with sex, 200? Yes. Yes. Now, nicotine use, dopamine increases almost immediately up to 250%, and it's maintained at 150% for five hours. So nicotine's, you know, it's a stimulus. It keeps you up there for a while. Yes. Cocaine, dopamine increases... Uh, continues to increase over one to two hours to reach 300% and it gradually reduces to normal over five hours. So it stays up quite high. Yes. Morphine, it increases only to about 170%, but that stays up there for over five hours. Okay? Okay. Now, the viewing of pornography. Everyone's got those stats in their heads? Yes. It's been shown to have an increase in dopamine to 250% higher than to healthy sex. However, rather than quickly dropping down like it does with sex, it stays up in the 250% range for over eight hours and perhaps even longer. Can you explain why? So if you can picture a line that goes up quickly and stays up for over eight hours, that's what happens when you see pornography. Yeah. So is there evidence or... 
a, a theory to say why that must oh, there's lots must of be theories. so different. Uh, porn can cause a dopamine spike, which lasts much longer than healthy sex and drug le- drug use. And the maintenance of dopamine levels creates in the brain an expect- expectancy for more and more stimulus. Okay. And because we've got a stimulus like the, the internet, it's a very immediate. So you can touch that button and get more and more and more within a few seconds. Yes. So it creates a new baseline. So instead of sitting at a normal level, the b- brain expects to sit at 250% instead of 100%. Mm-hmm. So eventually the person craves more and more porn of increasing extreme instead of normal healthy relationships. So practically that means the computer screen is much more exciting than a ready and willing partner. Yeah, it's so depressing in mm. a way. Mm. How long does it take uh, for those kind of biological changes in the brain to, to happen? Okay, change in the brain happens in the emotions but not the intellect, which is really interesting to hold on to. Now, the emotions are like a sealer on our thoughts. A great analogy is like the laying down of a road surface. So we've got layers of base and then we compress it and then we lay down new surfaces and then we compress it until there's a strong road and we drive on it. So we take it for granted and we automatically drive along the road without thinking what we're driving on. Mm. It's the same thing with the myelination of the the, the, brain. brain cells and that occurs along the neuron neuron pathways in the brain and we have a thought an emotional response so it seals it and then another thought and another emotional response and that seals it again and we do it over and over and over again and that leads to layers of thoughts and emotions surrounding the fine neural pathways so these thought patterns become like automatic responses and we become habit people so it's rewarding when these habits give us good feelings and we can avoid the bad feelings associated with being rejected or feeling pain or having an emotional emotional distance. Just a BTW moment. How amazing is the brain? And I amazing. Mean, just, <laughs> it's a bit of a no Now it takes 30 days to create a new pathway or a new road in the brain. Yep. So however a pattern of thinking of sexual and actively acting compulsively for over 30 days changes the brain in a cellular level, this leaves the addiction to become all you do and all that you are because you're doing it for more than 30 days and you're thinking about it more than 30 days at a time. Mm. So the brain, again, will revolt when you want to try and change that. It will revolt against any changes you try and put in place. And so dopamine will scream out, I want some more, I want some more, don't take it away from me. This is continuing to happen at a physical level. I think yes. it's just amazing. What is the difference then to just a user of pornography and an addict? Is it a matter of time? Okay. Yeah. Or is okay. It now this is a really interesting one. Okay. Now one difference to start with is that the addict isn't kidding themselves that there's a problem. <laughs> okay, owning up to it. <laughs> But here's a situation that's really common. If you think about someone who might just look at pornography every three to four months or so, they view the site, they might masturbate over it, and then they might feel it was intense and then go, whoa, I don't want to go there again. And they stop doing that for a period of time. But then they go back to it three or four months later. So it has a bit of a cycle. Mm. Now, would they be considered an addict? Well, not technically. However, here's the challenge. Every time they act out compulsively, they're setting in the hooks of an addiction. They're setting off the chemical reaction in the brain along with the natural body's natural procreating abilities and the pleasure of experiencing intense sexual release. And the intense reaction in the brain says, that's the way to get sexual releases, to look for pornography and masturbate. Yeah. 
What a powerful so, cocktail. So what happens is the habit cycle of addicting behavior. They can go on for years and they occasionally indulge in the use of porn and then along comes an increase in the stress in their lives and challenges come in their marriages and other outside factors come in and weigh in on them and they've been training their brain all along that the way to escape the pain in their life is to use a little bit of pornography. Mm. The next thing that happens is is that as their life gets more stressful or less satisfying, they go more and more into pornography and they get into that compulsive cycle that's really hard to stop. So the challenges with this is that they're telling their brain that the emotional tools of choice to deal with anything uncomfortable in their life is a sexual release. And the more they deal with the pornography, the more intense the pornography has to be. Yep. And they're setting themselves up for the hooks of an addiction pattern. Same kind of thing with the drug addict. Yeah. So, but in the beginning, when they're looking over... Uh, looking every three to four months, it seems innocuous at first, but the layers are being put down and they're getting themselves in deeper and deeper. Mm. Now, another challenging thought in this is if someone found themselves in one of those cycles looking at porn every three to four months, the question to ask, what are they doing in between times? Yes. Now, this is the bigger challenge. Now, the nature of pornography means that they begin fantasizing about it. The images stay in their memory and they resist it saying, oh, no, I can't go there. But the images continue to invade their brain and they think about it a lot. So they're thinking, remember we're saying they're laying these thoughts down over and over again. They begin thinking about it on a regular and repetitive basis. And the next time they indulge, they go and find a particular scenario that they've actually already thought of. So they're setting up a pattern, which means that they're still putting down the layers of the habit without looking at the sites, and they're actually increasing their tolerance and mentally rehearsing what they're going to do the next time they visit the sites. Wow. So this is where it becomes a compulsive pattern in their life. So would you say, as I've always said to people, the first click is the most severe? Well, that, that first step into this world. Yeah. I, I, I also think that there's a particular thing in the brain that's, that holds on to visual images. I know no dealing with children who've seen scary movies can't get them out of their head. Yeah. It's the same. You know, you have something that's quite shocks your brain, it'll stay in there and it'll come back and revisit you. Yeah. I've mentioned before um, a chat that we had uh, a few weeks ago with Josh, one of our open house community members who rang in, I think, uh, with great bravery to talk about his experience. This is a part of what Josh had to say. Internet porn started almost as soon as we actually got the internet at home. Um, it was just something that my parents didn't really even consider, I don't think. How old um, would you have been? 15, 15 or 16. How would yeah. you find out about it at 15? Um, it was actually just random website. Uh, I think, like, I can't remember exactly how it started, mm. but I think it was just from just browsing the internet uh, and coming across these sites just through links and stuff like that, I didn't actually go searching for it specifically. It just sort of popped out at me yeah. um, from ads or banners or something like that. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's how it started because I definitely don't remember sort of seeking it out. Would you describe your experience with it as a problem or eventually a problem? And if so, when? Well... I think it was a problem, definitely. Uh, and it was a problem that I had for a long time. And it's one that I'm still uh, making an effort to get over. Uh, I've sort of, I guess, stopped looking at porn now. 
uh, but it's still a conscious effort uh, every day to make sure that I don't uh, feed my mind with that sort of thing. Um, what yeah. what stopped you then? I think what stopped me was waking up to the emptiness that ultimately uh, it didn't actually bring any love or satisfaction. Mm. Um, it just it it's really uh, deceptive because it fills a void for a very short space of time, just long enough to kind of feel better about yourself. But then very soon afterwards, uh, because it's not there anymore, you crave it again. Uh, and it's just a perpetuating cycle. This is what they call an addiction. Yeah. And so for a long time, I didn't really face up to it. It was just something that I did and kept hidden. Um, and there was no one that I really felt like I could actually talk to about it because in Christian circles, I just felt so judged whenever I started kind of trying to broach the subject uh, with anyone. There was this real sort of um, uh, atmosphere of uh, we'll help you in your sin kind of thing, but everyone else seemed to sort of have it together enough to kind of felt sort of demeaning to share. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So how did you how did you face the Christian thing with uh, what developed into an internet porn addiction then, Josh? It was really hard. Yeah. Um, I kind of just put on a Christian face. Yep. Uh, and you, you wouldn't be alone and uh, on many issues beyond internet porn. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I did that with a lot of my struggles. I, I just put on the Christian face and go to church and sing songs and worship and do kids ministry even. Uh, all with that going on in the background. Uh, and it sounds really bad, but, uh, yeah, I realise now that everyone's life isn't rosy and there's a lot of people doing uh, this sort of thing yeah. um, and getting on with sort of church life and Christian life and just doing a really good job of hiding it. I really admire your honesty in coming up with it. Would you say it was a daily thing for you, Josh? I'm not... I can't really, I guess there were some days where it was. Uh, and then there were some days where I just feel so bad about it that I just sort of couldn't look at it or look at myself in the mirror and just be really in despair and desperation to get out of it. But then it was like that addiction thing where you just, you just can't help yourself almost. Were you ever in a relationship with someone during this time? And how did that work? I think... Being in a relationship, because um, I've had a, a couple of relationships over the years, and I think those are actually what showed me the emptiness of what I was doing. Uh, and it seemed like as soon as I started liking a girl, uh, the addiction to porn just sort of evaporated. Um, and it was something, it was like my focus was shifted away from that to uh, a relationship. Yes. Um, but then at the same time, I wasn't going into the relationship with, uh, I guess, good motivation or uh, godly intention. So it, it really uh, skewed my idea of what a relationship should look like. Uh, and it, it turned into um, more of, a, I guess, a worldly kind of look at relationships or how they look. Yeah. Can I ask you how old you are now then? 
Yep, I'm 29. Okay. So with the benefit of nearly 15 years of hindsight, yep. what, what would you say for the benefit of others, because I'm really keen for people to be helped, because I'm sure there are people listening for whom this is a problem. What helped you, Josh? What advice would you pass on to them? Uh, I'd say what really, really helped, apart from being in relationships and seeing how it... Uh, I'm not advising to get into a relationship, so it's a peculiar point of vision. Um, but being accountable definitely um, really helped kick it. Um, I guess I wasn't in, a, in an atmosphere where I felt like I could be accountable to someone um, until I... I got to an, a new church where there were guys there who I just decided to be real with uh, and discovered that they were also struggling with the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so we just sort of started hanging out and sharing and being accountable to each other. It was just fantastic. For the yeah. first time, I had people who were willing to share that they were having the same issues as me. Um, and even though we might have also um, failed, um, you had someone real, uh, like physically there to sort of pick you up again, uh, and just give you a pat on the back and just pray for you and enable you to keep going and not feeling so despondent, like you're the only ones who's going through it. And that there is forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. And that there is forgiveness from it. Uh, I think that was the big thing as well. The guilt associated with it, um, was really overwhelming and it, it actually started making me question whether I was actually a Christian. Um, and looking back, it's interesting. Like I would have called myself Christian, even though I was doing all this sort of stuff. Yep. Um, but at the same time, because my heart wasn't there, I don't know whether I could actually say definitively that I loved Jesus. I knew that I needed him, uh, but I don't think my heart was really in it. Um, to really see how, um, I guess, desperate my situation was. Yes. I, I thought that I could sort of get over it myself. Mind you, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very brave call from a few weeks ago from one of our Open House community uh, members, Josh, which, Lynn, brings out so much of what you've been saying. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah. So... This is a vitally important question. What can someone do if they notice this kind of behaviour in themselves? If you notice yourself in this pattern, my suggestion is that you ask yourself, how do you deal with the stress in your life? How do you deal with exhaustion? How do you deal with rejection? And if you're running a life that is way too intense or way too exhausting, you're also setting yourself up for failure. And the way out of this is to learn new coping tools and to develop new habits that are more satisfying and rewarding long-term and to create alternative patterns to the one that's trapping you because pornography uses, use becomes less and less satisfying the more that you, you, you can't get any better at it. You know, that yes. you can't find any more sites. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have its lasting effect after time. So you need to learn new tools to deal with stress release and the moments of confrontation when sitting in front of the computer, you need to have other alternatives. You can't leave you leave it to yourself. You've got to have some help. Um, but above all, your brain seeks to have an intense experience, so you need to find an alternative. So how does a person like this change from this particular addiction then? 
First of all, we, we all deal with this change in the same way. We need to look at how we deal with stress and take note what we avoid or run from when we're seeking the addictive patterns. So that's actually stepping forward and being really honest. What am I running from? What do I not want to face? Yep. Now, there are two keys, key ways, well, there's many key ways to change patterns in the brain, but two key ways that you change the patterns in the brain. One is you, you atrophy, you shrink the brain, and the other one is you stimulate the brain, you make it get bigger. Now, atrophy is when the brain shrinks, and that happens in dementia and with alcohol use. And we know that if there are neural pathways that are not used, they don't disappear, they shrink. So if you don't use it, you will lose it. Okay, yes. so basically, if we avoid avoid being exposed to the pornography in the first place, that's good. That's that first click. So this might mean that you block sites and that you increase your web filter. It also might mean deleting any sites that you've been connected to. And for some people, that might mean setting someone, getting someone to check your emails first before you read them, and make sure they don't have the temptation, particularly in the first thirty days. Yes. Secondly, stimulate the brain to intentionally create a new neural pathway that you want to have. It might mean flooding the brain with positive and encouraging stimulus about yourself like you're loved, like you're a child of God or you're created in his image. I use a chanting strategy which stimulates the brain to trigger both sides of the brain at the one time while bringing in new ways of thinking. Now, if you do intentionally do this intentionally over 30 days and then increase it to 90 days at the same time as avoiding any connection with the pornography, you will have like what you call a flooding of okay. your brain. Mm. It also helps to have positive reminders and events in the day and having people to give you some really good feedback and some positive things in your life. Um, and I think probably the best thing to do is donut moments. <laughs> yes, which we've covered. Yes. I mean, it's as you say, don't do it alone. Yes. Just before we go, just quickly, and we have to own up to this, there appears to be a lot of people with sex addiction um, in church circles. Yes. How, how is that and how do, how do we deal with it there? Now, Paul talks about, he doesn't actually talk about sex addictions, but he talks about similar stuff to the Roman church. Um, he notes that when you accept Christ, you're dead to sin and alive in Christ. Now, in psychology terms, this could also read atrophy of the old pathways of thinking yes. and stimulus of the positive and joyful moments in our lives that make us come alive. Now, Paul also talks about this in his letter to the Philippians when he says, Finally, dear brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And he goes on to say, Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is what you call cognitive behavior therapy. It is, yes. <laughs> no easy task, but possible to get help and yeah. possible for change to occur. But when the power of God is in our lives with the presence of the Holy Spirit, we've got so much more on our side than just changing our thoughts on our own. Now, there are many passages in the Bibles that warn us of stimula stimulating the brain in ways that lead to hedonistic pleasure and lead to nowhere. But it's very clear that we are not to judge. Yeah. And people with addictions need help and support. And sexual sin seems to be regarded as the worst sin, but it isn't any different to anything that separates us from God. So being judgmental and proud is just as sinful as sexual sin. And as Christians, we need to support one another to make changes in our life and creating an openness and an accountability and some mentoring in our churches. 
You are one of the wisest, most insightful, clever people I know. Lynn Worsley, thank you so much. Next week is computer and online social media addiction. Look yes. forward to that. Yes, that's very interesting. See you then. Across Australia, this is Open House. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.